Hi, my name is Kirby Ingalls, and you're listening to the True Success Podcast. My goal is to help you find true success by helping you live a rich and satisfying life, a life of happiness and meaning, and becoming a pillar of your community. This podcast is designed to inspire you to write a new narrative, revolutionize the way we live, and create a ripple effect that resonates with future generations. Welcome back to the show, everyone. I am here with Michelle Dickinson, and Michelle is doing her part to eliminate the stigma by normalizing the mental health conversation in the workplaces and within the first responder community. Michelle, please tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, you know, share a little bit about your story. Awesome. Thank you for having me, Kirby. I'm excited to be here with you tonight. Um, So yeah, so I am a mental health change agent. And if you asked me if I would have that sort of title five years ago, I would have never thought that. Um, What I do is I work with organizations to create more resilient, compassion workplaces. And how that came about was I had spent 19 years in the pharmaceutical industry And I just happened to tell a colleague of mine my story about growing up with my mother who had bipolar disorder. Mm. And before I knew it, I was nominated to give a TED talk on the the stage, the TEDx stage within my company and tell that story. And when I told that story, it was amazing how many people sort of came out of the shadows and um, could relate to it, whether they had someone that they loved or whether they struggled. So it, it was amazing how the power of storytelling could really create um, a, a safe space for people to be themselves. And from there, I decided I was going to write my memoir because if that's the impact I could have in an 11-minute speech, like what else could I do with my story? So I wrote my memoir, released it in 2018 and used it as a vehicle to cause more open conversations, whether it was in the community or within you know, local rotary clubs. Um, it sort of gave me the ability to do that. And I got really passionate about what else could I do? How else could I make a difference? And um, yeah, like right at the, the beginning of, no, the middle of 2019, I decided that I was going to leave the corporate world and create a mental health company to really be the change that I wanted to see in the world around stigma and understanding of mental illness. I think, I, you know, you, what you've just said there is really just something that's extremely powerful. And it's really one of the reasons why I had you on this show in the first place, uh, because I've actually touched in these worlds, you know, very vaguely for short periods of time, you know, three years at a time, I guess you would say, uh, you know, first when I worked with Rosalind Carter Institute of Caregiving, well, it wasn't first, but that was one of them. Um, then I worked two years with uh, victims of sexual assault in the military and then served some time as a trainer to, you know, train advocates. Um, and then again, you know, I was a master resilience trainer. So, uh, you know, I've, I've kind of dabbled around in it and I've, I've always found, um, I always thought that that was something that we probably could have done a better job earlier on, you know, I, and you also mentioned, um, I mean, it almost seems like, like there was a skip in a generation or something like that. Like we missed the boat or something, you know, and we just forgot about that. I don't know. I, I, I don't have any theories behind it. As you're so I got this inkling in, in you know, that, that something happened and, you know, we've left a, you know, maybe a generation or two kind of lost, you know, we didn't teach them the right skills, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and there could be a lot of different reasons for that. Uh, uh, and that was probably a whole nother show there, but uh <laughs> You know, one of the things you said was your mother, you know, and you're going through this with your mother. And I know a lot of my friends that I talk to today, they're going through something, you know, um, with their parents now, you know, their parents are starting to age. Uh, One particular friend I know was telling me uh, his mother's going through dementia, you know, and, you know, just some really challenging things. And you could tell, like, it's probably not bothering her as much as it is him. Right. And he's struggling to go through that. And I know there's that caregiver portion that we'll get to eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess where I'm going with this is that 
there was this idea of this sandwich generation, right? There was this, you know, you're taking care of your parents and then your kids. But with the current environment, it's almost like we're right back in that sandwich generation again, where, you know, we have our elderly parents who are going through some of these mental health issues and challenges. And then we also have our children who are going through an extremely challenging time um, in their lives that we haven't seen in probably a hundred years. So, um, you know, what, what can you, what can you share about that? Yeah. You know, I think that the one thing that um, I'm hopeful of is that this pandemic has really started to shine a light on um, emotional well-being, mental health, Mm -hmm. um, because so many of us are being pushed in, in, in such uh, challenging, pushed in different directions. Um, It's just been such a challenging time as, as human beings, we are born for connection and we've been having to deal with being quarantined and isolated and it's been really hard. So, you know, the one thing that I'm learning um, as I continue to support my clients is that, you know, people are just getting, they just have fatigue. We're, we're, we're at the almost one year mark. They're fatigued, they're tired. Um, some people are resigned. Some people are struggling with a mental health challenge and they, they don't even know it. They just think this is my new life. This is my new normal. So um, I've been trying really hard to, you know, make sure that um, my resilience program is meeting people where they are to just sort of give them the tools and, and the things that they know to do that they stop doing to start to feel better. Because, you know, the CDC says one in three are dealing with depression or anxiety. I mean, that's a scary statistic. And you know, if depression or anxiety goes untreated, you know, we're, we're going to be having a major crisis, you know, God forbid, you know, there's a a mass suicide or, you know, it's just, it's a slow, it's a slow, uh, it's a slow boat to, you know, some really, you know, upsetting things if you think about it. So, my whole goal is to proactively just remind people of the power that they have um, and the routines that they need to keep to keep themselves feeling better um, because it is not easy. But a lot of people don't even realize the basics of giving themselves some grace and that uh, this is not normal, that we're just doing the best we can and it's all based on our past traumas and past experiences. So just because the guy sitting next to you is doing better than you it doesn't mean that you should be. You have a very different uh, boat that you're in, even though we're all, all in the same ocean. Yeah, you know, and you earlier, you know, the conversation we were having, you know, brought a lot of that up. And I wanted to ask that question before I lost it um, and during our conversation, because I know we're going to talk about a lot of stuff and we're probably going to hit it pretty fast. Um, but I wanted to kind of get back to why you kind of got into this and i know you you mentioned again you mentioned your mother a little bit earlier but you you also talk about there was you had your own trifecta of mental health yeah can you kind of explain what that is and uh or what that was for you and Mm -hmm. and i i think that's probably where you began your shift into this field where you're like you know what I, i i have to do something about this yeah, exactly. You're you're exactly right. You know, growing up with my mom, I sort of wrote it off. I'm like, I, I survived that. I'm fine. And like I said, five years ago, I would have thought I would have retired from the corporate space and been, you know, done. But somewhere along the line, I dealt with my own depression and I was adopted. So I thought I'm never going to have to deal with this. My mother is not my mother. You know, she's my not my biological mother, that is. And I wound up... Um, going through a divorce and, and from nowhere, I, I found myself dealing with, you know, depression. And I, you know, because of my mom, I knew immediately I needed to get to a therapist. So I got to one and he diagnosed me with depression and it was hard. It was really hard. And for the first time I, I got the lens of, you know, what my mother's depression might've felt like for her. And, um, and I continued to work and, so, so that was really eye-opening for me to experience it is very different than to care for someone with it. And then uh, simultaneously, I was working at my Fortune 50 company to create a culture of compassion in that we were building the first mental health employee resource group. 
to really bring employees together who were either affected by invisible disabilities or who were caring for people with invisible disabilities. So I watched what was working and what wasn't working in the corporate space. And, and I said to myself, I have these three perspectives on mental health. How could I use them for good? And that's when I went off and created my own company. You're listening to the True Success Podcast with Kirby Ingalls. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. No, I, you know, and, and I think, I think you deserve some special recognition today because, um, we just had international women's day, um, and it's international women's month and we do all this stuff. And, and so you're a working mother in corporate America and, you know, you went through your own, your own trials and tribulations that you had to overcome and get through, uh, you know, and you also talked about being adopted. I grew up without a father and then went through your own divorce. And I'll tell people uh, now, and I'll say this again, is that you don't have to go through this traumatic event, right? I mean, when I say traumatic event, most people think that I got hit by a car, you know, uh, there was bombs landing around me, you know, there's just something that was so bad, right? That, you know, you're shaken by, it. you know, you witnessed something you know, horrible. But it could be just the loss of a loved one from natural causes that creates a level of trauma that can cause a lot of these challenges um, for us to overcome. And for me, that was my grandfather. But, uh, you know, and but I want to get back to you and, you know, and what that means for you, you know, and having this eye, you know, like today of all, you know, all places, some of the women I've worked with are extremely struggling right now because they're trying to manage a household. They're trying to have a job. They're trying to deal with COVID. They're trying to homeschool. They're trying to do all these things, yeah. you know, and they're the natural caregivers. Right. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll give that to you. I mean, it's, my wife is, is, is phenomenal when it comes to these things. Um, but we really don't know how hard it's hitting somebody. Um, and how stressed out they are, because on the outside, mm -hmm. it appears to be normal most of the time. Yeah. Um, what can we do, mm -hmm. right? So, so what can we do as spouses to kind of come alongside and say, you know, um, mm -hmm. where do you need help? You know, how can I give you an hour back to your day so you can do something like self-care or mm -hmm. just, you know, go have a glass mm -hmm. of wine and read a book. I, I'll, I'll wrangle the five rugrats, you know, for the next mm -hmm. hour. And, but that doesn't work that easy because here comes your spouse, like mm -hmm. they won't let go. <laughs> so what can we do? Yeah. And one of the things, the first thing that I do teach in my resilience program is <clears throat> I want people to get present to how they're feeling every single day. You know how in the morning when you wake up and you do like this physical scan of your body to kind mm -hmm. of reveal, oh, does my ankle still hurt from yesterday or am I sore from working out, like we do a physical scan, but we don't do a mental scan. We don't reflect on how are we feeling today? We just plow ahead. We just hit the, hit the day. We just, yeah. we just go. And so what I, what I really would love for people to start to do is to really get present to how they're doing, how they're feeling every day. Because if you can recognize that you're having a low day, then you can turn to your partner and tell them, and give them the opportunity to be a contribution to you before it starts to escalate. And then you're at the end of your rope and you're just like, I just need to leave. You know, if you can sort of just have a common dialogue about how you're doing, then chances are you'll be able to maintain balance proactively before hitting that wall. Yeah, I think that's great because, you know, I, I spent some time in meditation. I think that was one of the things that helped me through my own stuff that I've experienced in the past, um, you know, combat, uh, you know, I, I kind of shared a little bit while ago um, to kind of fight, you know, do that, that scan, right? You, you go from head to toe and you kind of mm -hmm. do that scan and, but you never really think like, where's my head today? Like, right. you know, where, 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 where are we at today? And um, mm -hmm. what am I putting in? right? Before I go out into the world, um, right. try and get that glass overflowing. 
you know, and, and I think that that's, that's re really important for, for a lot of people to do. So I, I really do appreciate you sharing that. We, uh, but we don't, I mean, we don't really see the other side of it. Right. Um, as far as the corporate world is concerned, uh, there's a lot of people out there. Uh, I know people are struggling. Um, you know, some companies have laid off 10,000 people, merged departments, doubled up work. Yeah. And, uh, it's really challenging and you're taking a lot of quality people, you know, uh, out of the workforce and not by choice, but because they're having some mental health illness. I worked with one gentleman who kept getting into burnout, you know, and where you say, you know, you talk about fatigue. Uh, sometimes I call that compassion fatigue, depending on, you know, which yeah. uh, industry you're in. Well, you can get to a point where you can burn out and where you got to take six weeks off and you just lost six weeks of productivity. Yeah. And sometimes we do that to ourselves. Um, yeah. And it's because sometimes we just don't speak up or talk about it, but there's um, statistics on this, you know, uh, what, uh, how, it's, I guess there's another side of it, like I was saying about what it's costing folks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. On a daily basis. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And I think that's what we have to really remind employers that mm -hmm. mental health is costing them in productivity in disability costs. Um, you know, and in morale, there's a lot of negative impact. And, and so I love that organizations want to provide great benefits and an EAP employee assistance line, which is great, but I challenge them to say, what else could you do? Because we're living in extraordinary times where people need more support. Mm -hmm. And if you give them a little bit more support, you're going to have them in their seat. And you're going to have them being productive and that's only going to help your bottom line. So I want you to do it because it's the right thing to do, but you need to get that you're going to pay for it if you don't. So, um, and it's little things like it's, it's, you know, employees don't feel comfortable using EAP hotlines. They're afraid their employer is going to find out. There's still a stigma that prevents people, you know, from feeling like they can reach out for care. Um, so it's really important to recognize what else could you do in your culture to normalize the conversation? What else could you do with your people leaders to really create more trust between an employer and employee um, so that they can support one another? Um, could you create a peer community in your organization and have one another support one another on top of that? There are things that can be done that can really foster compassion in the workplace um, and honestly, breed loyalty. You want to breed loyalty? This is when you show up for your people. If human capital is the most important asset for you, now is the time to really show that. Yeah, that's really important. You know, see, it's it's more than just, you know, adding that benefit, right? Uh, you know, and having that employee benefit program and the, the executive at the top of the company, you know, cheering everyone on, you know, and telling people like, it's okay, you know, call the hotline, ask for help, you know, cause you hear them and they're all doing it. Uh, whether some people believe in them or not, I mean, you know, I, I guess that depends on the particular company. Mm -hmm. um, and then it's more than just, you know, HR, right? I mean, HR only has so much opportunity to help out because they're already slammed as it is, you know, with everything that's going on. Right. What is it that a manager, like a first line supervisor can do uh, to recognize, you know, maybe just recognize some yeah. things and say, you know what, maybe you just need to go home an hour early today, you know, go for a walk, you know, or, yeah. or what is it that they could do that yeah. might help? That's such a great question because if you think about it, the middle line managers are the face of the organization. How you interact with them is how you feel about your job and about the company because they're the person that you're the most connected to. First of all, it's a great opportunity to reflect on, am I doing my part to create trust between me and this employee so that God forbid they need something, they have a comfort level extending, you know, reaching out to me. That's like the first thing. Trust is so important. But I think the biggest challenge for managers and even for colleagues is this fear that you have to fix it. The fear that like, if I ask them, um, ooh, I'm gonna have to like 
you know, be their, be their doctor, not the case. And I think that's why people look the other way or step over someone who's struggling instead of just being an ear, just being there for them. Like, how are you doing? Like I noticed like, you know, maybe it's not performance, you know, maybe their personality is shifted and that is a sign of something bigger. Like, oh my goodness, I can remember some of the most compassionate bosses that I ever had and the difference they made for me just because they treated me like a human being, you know? So it's, it's, let's bring the humanness back to leading. Let's bring heart-centered leadership. Let's build trust with our employees. Um, that can, that can make all the difference. I think that's a good bumper sticker. Treat people like a human being. <laughs> Life is all about bumper stickers. I actually started reading uh, or listening to uh, Matthew McConaughey's Green Light, and he starts out <laughs> the book with about bumper stickers. So, uh, and all of his lessons in life were bumper stickers that he'd seen on cars. So, that's pretty interesting that you brought that up. Um, The Veterans Podcast Awards are open to U.S. military veterans, active duty, reserves, allied forces, and military spouses. The True Success Podcast has been nominated in three categories, Business, Army, and Best Overall Veteran Podcast. Voting is from August 4th through September 18th, 2021. The winner gets announced on October 5th at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, which is National Military Podcast Day. So jump on over to VeteranPodcastAwards.com and vote for the True Success Podcast. You know, earlier you said uh, about stigma. Either, and this is something that I know even in 2006, 2007, um, when I was coming back from Iraq and the military created all these programs and then you had to get evaluated when you got back, you know, and people were lying on the evaluation because there's just so much stigma and they kept saying, we're, we're fighting the stigma, we're fighting the stigma, you know, we're, we're trying to get rid of it. But again, you know, that there's talk there. Uh, you have to do things. Um, but you know, it's really hard to hear that. I mean, still today that even in the corporate world, that there's this, and, and I, I don't know the statistics on, you know, behavioral mental health and, and how many people suffer from it. And maybe you can share that, but with all, as common as it is, I'm sure it's pretty common, mm-hmm. um, that we would be still have yeah. this issue and yeah. be afraid of it. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's like it's inevitable, right? It's going to happen at some point in your lifetime. You're going to go through something like this. Yes. It used to be one in five will experience a mental health challenge in their lifetime. But now since this pandemic, I don't know. I mean, one in three are currently experiencing anxiety or depression. So yeah. I think that that's a little different now because you throw in a quarantine and everything. But um, yeah, it, it, it really does it's really upsetting because people don't realize that the brain is just another organ yet there's just, I think it has so much to do with maybe how mental illness is portrayed in the media Mm -hmm. or maybe how generations before us hid any type of an imbalance because there was so much embarrassment around it because they couldn't understand it. And then it was easier to fear. I don't know. Um, but how do we remove the stigma is we have people who are willing to be courageous and go first and tell their story, right? Like, I, I won't lie. And when I stepped on the stage at my company and told my story about my mother, how many people looked the other way? Cause it was uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, you know, it takes something for someone to go first and, and, and open up because that creates an access for other people. So I think the way to remove stigma is to have more people going first and creating sort of paving the road. I mean, one of the things I recommend to my corporate clients all the time is, do you have a leader in your organization who would be willing to tell their story, who'd be willing to just sort of open up and be vulnerable 
because the power of a leader telling their own story mm-hmm. can set the tone within a culture. Like it's no one's business. So I really do. I think it, it's the courage to go first and the courage to keep talking. Yeah. No, you remind me of somebody I listened to speak one time. Um, and this kind of goes back to my days working as a, a coordinator for victims of sexual assault. She was up there and speaking on stage and you could tell she was really, really nervous. And you wouldn't think so because she was an officer and, you know, she had made halfway, you know, up the ladder and, uh, and what was, you know, kind of funny and interesting about the story is that she goes, you know how I get through my day? And after going through all that traumatic stuff, right? And she went through depression. She had children. Um, she was trying to, you know, uh, get on with her life, you know, and struggling. So, you know, these, these, this anxiety and this depression, it's just not just from, you know, work and do stuff. That can happen. You know, there's a lot of things in our lives that can happen. And uh, she wore uh, funny socks every day. And she would just, when she was having a rough day, she would just pull up her pants and look down uh, her pant legs and look down and see the funny socks. And then it would kind of just bring her a moment of peace, a little bit of laughter. And she kind of like shifted herself right out of the, whatever was going on because she was just, you know, beginning to start to think about, you know, things that had happened to her in the past. And that was kind of her way to kind of pull herself back out of it. I guess it's a form of her own self-care, but Mm-hmm. Uh, near yeah. your story you know being afraid to get up on stage and talk about these things like it's it's extremely difficult yeah. um there's yeah. a lot of people out there that have done it and uh uh and i will tell you like standing in the auditorium and listening to those folks um i think some of the most powerful conversations i've had or not i've had but heard uh was after somebody got up and shared their story about something that had really bad had happened to them and people begin to identify and one by one, you know, they're saying, Hey, if you've got questions and it's not questions, it's testimonies. People get up for the very first time and say, I've been holding this in for 40 years. I've been holding on to this for 20 years mm-hmm. and they tell their story and it's just extremely powerful. Um, and if you're not moved by that, um, <laughs> I don't know if your heart's beating or not. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just really touching. So, uh, I, I just want to, What's that? It's, yeah, it's the human, it's the human relatedness, right? Yeah. Like when I told my story, it was it was like, oh my gosh, someone could possibly understand what I dealt with. Like yeah. I'm not, it's not only me. People don't want to feel like they're alone in their struggles. Like for someone to go first is just like validation that I'm not like the only one sitting over here in this pool. You know, it's powerful. Yeah, earlier you were talking about, you you talked about stories and stuff too. Um, how powerful is it for someone to tell their story? And and and, and can, can you speak to the healing process of that? Yeah, I mean, from, from my own experience, you know, in writing my memoir, right? My, my memoir is, is brutally honest and incredibly vivid because I wanted to like, have my reader with me on the journey of what it was like to care for someone and the letters that I got the messages that I got from people it is incredible I had a 16 year old girl reach out to me who struggles with her own bipolar mother reach out to me and say oh my goodness I read your book and I have hope that I'm actually going to be okay because you I, I can see you're okay it's powerful. People, people just want to be connected to and related to. So I think storytelling is one of the, one of the biggest gifts that we can give each other. Um, you know, when I talk to my corporate clients about things they can do in the workplace, I'm always talking like, mm-hmm. could you create an employee resource group? Could you create a peer community? Peer communities are incredible. You know why? Because a peer community represents hope. These are employees who have been through something and they've come back and they've come out the other side, right? That is hope for another employee who might be starting to struggle with something. Like that's the biggest gift that you can give your other employees is like the story of hope. Um, So yeah, it's super important. Storytelling, I think, is the bridge that brings us all together. Yeah, we've been banging around this idea about mental stigma. Uh, that's kind of how we started on this particular piece of the conversation. Uh, what do you, you know, and, and we also kind of mentioned the media in there as well. You know, why, why is, why do you think the media 
put such a I don't know maybe they don't but why we get such a stigma from it um I think the media plays into a little bit um yeah but you know what I guess maybe not so much why um but what can we do uh to kind of help counter counteract that education education and knowledge I think the one thing that I am really clear about is I have a, a very unique relationship to mental health because of my upbringing. I have people in my life who have never had a loved one or themselves ever struggle with anything related to mental health. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're almost, you know, ignorant to the reality of what it's like to struggle or to love someone struggling. So I think we need to reflect that we have our own biases from our own experiences. You know, I probably wouldn't be nearly as compassionate if I didn't witness my mother crying for hours on end until she was taken to a mental hospital, yeah. right? So that's my unique lens on mental health and mental illness. Whereas the person sitting next to me may have never had that. So the only thing that they're seeing are, God forbid, school shootings and horrible things where the reporter says they had a mental illness and that's it. So I think the one thing we can do is make it our responsibility to educate ourselves so that we're getting, we're getting, you know, there's tremendous resources like the National Alliance on Mental Illness, Mental Health America. There's great resources to just educate yourself on these different types of illnesses so you, you can almost um, remove some of those biases that you have. how do you remove those biases because generally you know when people have these biases there's a wall up so how do you kind of break down that barrier i mean how how do you start that conversation or engage that conversation so i have a funny story about that because it, this is so this is so real for me. So uh, when I started my mental health company, I had a, a very dear friend of mine say to me, I don't understand. What do you do? What do you do? <laughs> I go, listen, I go, there's a lot of people suffering in silence. There's a lot of stigma that exists in the workplace. So I really want to create of compassion and teach employees resilience. And she was like, but I don't understand. She was kind of like, you know, she, she's a small business owner. So she was like, well, Michelle, if the widgets need to get made and my employee goes out on disability, those widgets still need to get made. So she was all about her, her production line, which I understood. So I said to her, I go, but this is your employee, your employee that has probably been with you for quite a few years. And he's dealing with something he or she is dealing with something and they need to get, they need to get care and maybe they have to be out of work. And she was like, but the, the widgets still have to get made. And I go, okay, great. I go, so, um, so I think after, after trying to like explain to her the value of really caring for her people, I finally said to her is mental illness, is that, is that a real thing? Or is that just sort of a cop out? Mm -hmm. And she said to me, I don't know. Huh. And I said to myself, she's the problem, right? Because yeah. she, because yeah. immediately she's not thinking about the employee be, because of her own biases. Like, is this just a cop out? This person wants a few weeks yeah. off or is this legit? Like that told me everything I needed to know. So, but by asking her all those questions and getting her to say that it really helped me see mm -hmm. that, you know, this is a problem because everyone comes to the table with their own perspectives. Listen, I had a boss in a fortune 50 company. Give me my performance review after I told her I was diagnosed with depression. And she said to me, you just didn't bring your bubbly upbeat self to work every day. Ugh. And I said, Oh my goodness. Like how many other leaders are that insensitive to say something to someone who's just trying to hold their crap together. Yeah. You know? And, and that told me more about her than anything. Like that she couldn't find any compassion within for someone dealing with it, maybe because she's never dealt with it. She's mm -hmm. never witnessed someone dealing with it. She doesn't like my girlfriend, right? She doesn't think it's real. Like there's a whole host of biases that come into play that we need to do a better job sort of demystifying. Yeah, you know, I, 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 the first thing I thought of when you mentioned 
you know the supervisor was is and this is sometimes this is my first thought is they're probably going through the same thing but they're hiding it Absolutely. and they're and they're you know trying to spearhead somebody else so yeah oh and i i know i was like I, I can't think like that you know they may not go through that you know they may just don't understand it because they've never experienced it before they've never had anybody close to them that's experienced it before but most of the time i you know i would say it's probably true more so than false um they're going through their own stuff and they don't want nobody to know and so they tend to take it out on other folks mm-hmm. um i don't know how true that is but i would i don't know i would probably put a wager on it <laughs> and i think I think, it, I think it's, you know, you could talk about unconscious bias about everything, right? Mm-hmm. Diversity, inclusion, yeah. and we all have it. And I think that when we shine a light on those, those unconscious biases, we become better human beings because at least we can get present to it, recognize it, and, and not be ashamed of it. We, we're just products of our upbringing. We're products of our circumstances and, and they're unique to us, you know? So it's sort of like giving people, um, compassion for having those biases but challenging them to broaden their knowledge well certainly i mean you can do it with all kinds of things i mean the first one is empathy (laughs) i said that's the thing that i said none of us have had to massage the empathy muscle in a long long time you know and uh it's just and I, over the last year, I can really tell us like a lot of folks, I mean, if, if emotional IQ is still number one, uh, empathy is probably close behind it right now. And, and, and one of the highest skill sets that leaders are in demand for. So yep. for sure. Um, you know, uh, folks have been hearing us talk about resilience and uh, behavioral health and mental health and stigmas and things like that. Uh, especially around the business setting, the corporate world, whatnot. What are the steps that folks can take uh, to cultivate a culture of compassion? And and what are those steps? So I mentioned a few of them already. So like for an HR leader or for an organization leader, there are things you can do. I actually have a a list of five of them on my website, Mm -hmm. uh, michelledickinson.com. The first one is having a remit by the highest level of the organization that you will be an inclusive organization for people with invisible disabilities, just like Mm -hmm. you would people with physical disabilities. And that has to be backed by policies, policies that reiterate that. But then, you know, it's, it's also cultivating trust with leaders. It's, um, you know, having, you know, having maybe an employee resource group where you bring people together. It's hosting open dialogues. It's having the leader of the organization or one of the leaders of the organization maybe disclose their own mental health challenge and say, I'm gonna be an open book about this. And I think that we all should be, you know, really embracing our complexities. We are human beings with unique complexities. And to say that we're gonna leave them on the shelf and go to work is just unrealistic. Mm-hmm. So I think um, having leaders go first, um, you know, vignettes. I mean, we had a TED stage when I was at my Fortune 50 company and that slowly became like a stage for people to tell their, their um, mental health stories, which really opened up a conversation. It opened up and it normalized the discussion um, access to mental health services seems pretty basic, but there are some organizations that have healthcare that when you call them, they say, we can get you in, in a month. And that doesn't work. If you have an employee who needs support, you have to help remove barriers so they can get the care they need, uh, especially now. So there's a whole host of things that organizations can do to cultivate compassion and to normalize the conversation and create a stigma-free climate. And I think Imagine if we, imagine if more organizations did that, the impact we would have on society. Yeah, I, I it would be incredible. I mean, it, <laughs> uh, we would see, I, I, we would just see, I don't know, um, produ- probably production ramp up. Um, uh, we'd probably be seeing happier families. I mean, there's just so much that you could really dive into that would be the benefit of, of, you know, just kind of coming around this idea of mental health and, getting the people the care they need right away rather than you know um that stigma being that that obstacle that everybody has to get over and you can just 
deal with it. I mean, just like you get a cold or something, or you break, fall down and break your arm, and you go to the doctor right away and get it taken care of, yeah, um, rather than more. let it prolong for yeah. months, even years at a time. Yeah. And now you have all this care that you have to get um, mm -hmm. that uh, may take months or even years to, you know, kind of get you back to, you know, a place that. And it may not take that long. I mean, it, it, you know, but sometimes it takes time to get through that. So especially if somebody's gone through something um, pretty serious. So, yeah. um, you know, you've uh, written a, a, a piece for children. Um, not only did, you know, your own personal memoirs and stuff, but you also did a piece for children. And you know, we can't, you know, you having a resilience company and, and you know, taking this fight head on with mental health and behavioral health stigmas and, you know, trying to um, get that going in the corporate world uh, is an incredible fight, but also with the children today, uh, so many kids are facing anxiety, whether it be zoom fatigue, which is a thing now, um, <laughs> you know, or they're, they're not able to play with their friends in the classroom. Um, you know, just different things. Like one of the things that I noticed and I'll tell uh, just a real quick personal story last summer i think it was july my son was helping me uh work my five-year-old was helping me work on my my car outside i was just changing the battery it was something really simple and uh, he was out there and he was tinkering around with me and it, we hadn't been outside in you know probably days so i get some fresh air and because uh, everybody was staying inside and uh, a kid from two doors down we had moved in in july and ran down and uh it's like probably one of the first chances that we've been outside um that he was there and uh, as soon as he ran out my son put his hand on his face and was like i'm not wearing a mask you know he's like get back you know and uh the effects that all this is having on our kids um the like i said the anxieties the depressions you know i've heard stories of kids committing suicide um and I don't know, I mean, I don't think we're going to know the, I mean, the effects of it until the data comes out, right? I mean, it's going to take two or three years to collect all the data. Right. Um, generally, I think the CDC is about two years behind on on some of the data I think I've seen, especially with deaths and stuff like that, because it just takes, it's, it's a lot of data you got to collect um, from all over the place. And the United States is not a small country, so um but, uh, you know, can you, you know, how, how is this book, you know, I think it's called uh, Perfect. Um, how does yeah. this help our children? Yes. And, you know, before this pandemic, we had, we already had a crisis mm -hmm. with, with teens committing suicide. Mm -hmm. And I can only imagine what it's like now, because like you said, their life is totally flipped on its, on its head. Mm -hmm. So Perfect Just the Way You Are is actually a program for kids. It's a program that I created when I was going through my own healing process, right? So I took a leadership course and they said, if you could change the world, what would it be? And I thought immediately to what I missed having a mother who is emotionally unavailable as a little girl. Mm -hmm. And that was, I wanted children to be present to how perfect, whole, and complete they already were. So that's why I called it perfect just the way you are. And I wanted them present to their greatness, that they could create and they could do whatever they wanted. Mm -hmm. And those are two things that my mother didn't provide me with. So I created that program as a vehicle for me to heal. And um, it was delivered as an after-school program. And now I'm converting it into the virtual world um, to deliver it to kids, but it's designed to teach them how to nourish the mind, how to nourish the body and leadership skills. Um, nourishing the, the, the mind um, because of the bullying and the low self-esteem and the social media bullying, and then nourish the body because of the obesity epidemic with our adolescents and our children. So, um, so yeah, so it's about to be converted into a virtual experience that teaches kids mostly the soft stuff that, that, that they just don't have the time to teach in, in the classroom, right? Empathy, compassion, bucket filling, gratitude, um, meditation, things that they can do to feel better, visualization, their happy place, all those good things that we want kids to have to, to feel like they do have a degree of control in, in, in a chaos uh, situation. Well, you talked about all my favorite things there, meditation, visualization, and all kinds of stuff. So uh, 
those are uh, those those are things that I didn't learn really until I was an adult. So which I could have utilized as a kid. So uh, looking back, I was like, yeah, and I probably did utilize that a little bit, you know, from time to time. But I didn't realize what I was doing, and it wasn't intentional. It was probably unintentional or unconscious. So, uh, so no, I I I really do appreciate that. I value that, and I think that. Hey everyone, this week I'd like to share with you a review from Matt Zinman. If there's any one thing about Kirby, it's that he does his homework about guests and develops pointed questions that, in all candor, have never been explored in my prior interviews. I've no doubt that his audience agrees with the value this provides. Thank you, Matt, for that wonderful review. Hey, everyone. Did you know that the number of True Success Podcast fans has doubled in this year alone? We must be doing something right. Let us know what keeps you coming back for more. This enables us to continue providing you the best experience possible, not only for you, but to help others understand how the True Success Podcast is helping make your life easier. As I tie into these next three questions, um, I don't even know if I have to ask them because I think you've already answered them. Uh, but, uh, you know, where, where do you, you know, I mean, the first one obviously is, you know, everybody has a direction that they're going, you know, um, and sometimes we shift and pivot and things like that. Um, but we can't see the future, right? We don't have a magic ball. So where are you, where are you shooting for in the next 10 or 20 years? Where are you going to be? Uh, I just want to change the world. That's all, Kirby. Can I do that? I just want to change the world. I feel like there are too many people suffering in silence and shame. Um, and if I can impact cultures at a time to have them be okay with not being okay and knowing where to go to get support and having no embarrassment around that, that's what I want to do. So changing the lives of organizations and thousands of people. Yeah, I think that's, that that would be incredible if we could just remove the barrier, the, the motion or the, the stigma behind it. Um, I think we got a lot of great professional, uh, ethical, uh, you know, behavioral mental health specialists out there or professionals that are ready and willing to help people. It's just that uh, uh, somehow we've got to get this, you know, stigma in our society to, to dissolve and, you know, go away. Um, so folks can do that. The other one, I guess, would be, uh, what is your definition of true success? So if we get rid of, you know, all the bestsellers and, you know, um, you know, help a thousand people, you know, or, or whatever arbitrary numbers we tend to throw on things because it tends to be about benchmarks and accolades, you know, what's that, what's that intrinsic value um, that you're seeking? You know, what, what would be that, that, you know, what, what's going to fill you up at the end of the day? And, and you can say, you know what, this is true success. So uh, I'm a big fan of Tony Robbins. I've done a lot of his work. And he says that success without fulfillment is not success. Mm -hmm. So you can have all the money in the world. It doesn't matter. You can have all the fulfillment in the world without money. It doesn't really matter. You need both. You need the element of success yep. and fulfillment. So for me, what does that look like? It's honestly being able to pour into other people's lives and be fulfilled in, in being able to help people. Um, so for me, it's, it's all about fulfillment. Like I just signed another client today and I'm thinking already, how do I make an even bigger impact how do i how do i add massive value while i have their people you know so it's all about adding as much value because i know that that's going to fill me up 
Yeah, you've already done a, a lot already. I mean, um, just with what you're doing and just the conversations that we're having, I can already tell. But there might be something else out there that I'm not picking up on. So um, what is it that you're going to uh, do to create that ripple effect? So if you were to cast that stone in the water, um, and it may be, you know, ripples through your community, your family, mm -hmm. um, you know, whatnot, um, What's that going to be? You know, I think it's that the work that I do mm -hmm. really does erase stigma. Like, like the trail that I leave behind mm -hmm. is that there is no more stigma. Like I, I'm part of my mayor's mental health council here in my town. And like the work we're doing is to create a stigma-free community like i want the work that i do in organizations to leave the ripple effect behind that there is no more stigma we just talk about brain health it's just it's just what we do there is no more stigma so i think my ripple my my golden dream would be the ripple effect is that i am able to help remove that stigma yeah that, that's that would that would totally be awesome. Um, you know, we're we're at the end here. Uh, I always give you one more opportunity to share a message or anything that you would like to say that you may not have said before, um, and then tell us, you know, where we can find you. Awesome. Yeah, I think that the message that I really have is, if someone is suffering, don't step over their suffering because it's uncomfortable for you. You could be the only person that has the courage to check on them and, and really call them out if they're struggling with something. Um, far too often people do look the other way and they assume someone else is gonna check on them and they might not be, there might not be anyone else there. So check on the ones that you love, have the courage to not step over if you sense someone suffering um, and never underestimate the importance of just asking, you know, are you okay? How are you doing? Well, Michelle, I really do appreciate it. I think this was a beautiful conversation. I mean, obviously it's a delicate conversation, but I think it's an extremely important conversation that we need to continue to, to have. And so uh, hopefully what we can, you know, maybe help you make a little bit of a splash and uh, help eliminate some of that stigma, you know, maybe one person at a time and uh, people can start to tell their stories and then you know, that just continues to compound. So uh, I, I, I really do appreciate you sharing your knowledge and then how to apply some of this. So I, I thank you very much. You're welcome. And you had asked me to tell people where to find me. They can uh -huh. find me on my website, which is Michelle with two L's, E Dickinson, D-I-C-K-I-N-S-O-N.com. All right. And I, again, thank you very much. And we'll drop all the links in the show notes so that way, you know, folks can grab that real easy and then head on over there. So again, thank you. Uh, it's, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Kirby. Now it's up to you to put all this information into action. Please check out the links in the show notes, download a copy of the transcript and support us by smashing that like button. Leave a comment or review on whichever platform you are listening to the show on. Now go out and carry this story forward. My name is Kirby Ingalls. I appreciate you listening to this episode. Honor your service to others and love the impact that you are creating. You've been listening to the True Success Podcast. I'll see you next time.